everybody, welcome to What Are We Building? I'm your host, Andy Shaner. Thank you for tuning in. This is 103.5 FM, The Sun, and I am in the Sun Prairie Media Center studios, underwritten by the Bank of Sun Prairie. My guest today is Monty Bowie. Uh, we'll be talking to him in just a second. Had a wonderful conversation, hopefully kind of the first of many conversations uh, we have, both private and, and public, on the radio or on TV or wherever we, we have a chance to do that. Um, but, but really good talk about different things he is involved with, with and and what is going on in the community. So stick around for that. Uh, what I wanted to talk about in the open here is uh, at the, uh, the the intersection of Maine and Bristol, kind of the location where the explosion happened back in 2018. So I talked about this briefly on my last episode, which you can check out on uh, Spotify or Anchor.fm or Apple Podcasts, uh, where I kind of gave a tour of the city and all the different projects, what we've got going on. But, uh, but I wanted to dig in a little bit more on this proposal for what's going on at the location where uh, the explosion happened. So where the old Harriman's building was, the Glass Nickel Pizza, across the street from the Bar House Bar, you know, all those buildings, that whole area was just decimated and they're still vacant lots. But we actually have... A proposal, it came in front of the Planning Commission. They discussed it. They kind of tabled it until their next December meeting coming up. But um, what I, I was excited about it because for a couple different reasons. Number one, um, it, it, it has an apartment component. And I can almost hear people kind of through the microphone rolling their eyes when I say apartments. But it's, it's retail on the bottom or commercial. Uh, it's kind of raised up from street level. So if you imagine like walking from downtown or, you know, or, or down from the cross house, you'd have to walk up some steps to kind of a patio or a plaza type area. Um, and you can think of some, you know, tables out front of a restaurant where people could sit outside, maybe a clothing store with, you know, some racks out front, but, but very sort of pedestrian friendly. Um, and, and there are a lot, there are apartments above that. And so that's kind of the trend is these mixed use buildings. But, um, you know, we need apartments and we need apartments, particularly downtown. You know, I've, I've talked about apartments. I know people are, are not huge fans uh, a lot of times, but in, in particular downtown, uh, all those businesses downtown, that Main Street area that we all kind of know and love, uh, Wright Bauer Brewing and Eddie's Ale House and, you know, the, the bike shop um, and all these kind of places, Full Mile, Market Street Diner, um, we, they need customers. And the more people that are living downtown, uh, that can walk to these places and patronize those businesses, they are able to stay afloat and bring in more great businesses that are, are, are stick around and, and kind of benefit the whole city. It becomes a tourism draw. It becomes a place, a destination where you want to hang out and spend time. So um, I, I'm excited about having more people living downtown. Quite honestly, all the apartments and condos that are there now are a big reason why downtown is is what it is and the farmer's market and all the different stuff that's going on. Um, and, and I love seeing that. So um, I'm big, I'm excited about that. The other piece of it that I wanted to talk about is so right next to that is the Sun Prairie Utilities Building. And the, they are eventually planning to move to a new location, I think off Linderud, kind of behind Ashley Field. And so when that lot becomes available, they'll be able to link those two lots. Um, the apartment and retail will start sooner. But the, the plan that they've proposed is to be able to have a green space, a plaza-type area, a community gathering space. And what I really want to see out of that area is some type of memorial, some type of public art installation, a plaque, all of the above – 
that reminds us of what happened at that site uh, when that happened in 2018, because that is a historical event that most of us live through, um, that we'll be telling our kids about, and we need a remembrance of that, of that time when we, we opened our hearts, opened our wallets in many cases, opened our hand to the people who, not only the family who you know, lost their life and uh, the loss of life and uh, firefighter bar, but the people whose homes were, dis- were destroyed, were displaced, businesses that were destroyed, anybody that was affected by that, uh, we, we came together and made sure everybody had what they need. And we need, and that to me is the essence of Sun Prairie, who we are as a community and as a people. And we need at that exact location, a way to remember that and remind us all of that. So whether you're a citizen going down there to visit or, or a tourist uh, or somebody who's visiting for the first time or just moved here, uh, all that is, is really defined, should define who we are. And so that's, that's what I hope to see out of that base long term. It's going to be a long term project, but uh, I'm glad to see something's happening there. So um, that's what I wanted to talk about at the, at the start. Uh, we will take a little break. We'll tell you about some stuff that's going on around town, and then we'll come back. You'll hear my conversation with Monty Bowie. Stay tuned for that. This is What Are We Building on 103.5 FM The Sun. You're listening to 103.5 The Sun, community radio serving the surrounding area on your FM dial at 103.5 FM and online at sunprairiemediacenter.com. You can get all our content on our website and on our app. You can also check out Roundabout Sun Prairie, my TV show. I had a wonderful response to the interview I did with Kyle Kettleson, who lives in Sun Prairie but is an opera singer. I uh, interviewed him from Vienna, Austria, so you can check that out. If you go to KSUN Live, KSUN On Demand on the website and search for Roundabout, you can get uh, recent episodes. I'm doing another one next week. We do them about once a month, so check that out. You can also get previous episodes, previous conversations I've had, uh, as I said, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Anchor. FM. So uh, there is, if you want to take your kids to see Santa, I know I always stress out that we're not going to have enough time. You can go to the Cross House on Saturday, December 4th from 1230 to 230. Otherwise, the Piano Gal Shop on Saturday, December 11th from 1230 to 2.30. Santa will be reading holiday stories and singing songs. Uh, It'll begin every half hour, and you can check that out at the Piano Gal Shop. Again, downtown Sun Prairie, another great retail store. They do lessons and things that um, are are really kind of a cool uh, business that uh, you can go and check that out. Uh, December 11th, 12.30 to 2.30, Santa Saturday at the Piano Gal Shop downtown. So happy holidays to everybody. Happy December. i got a couple more shows before the new year, but I hope you you make it through the holiday season. And uh, stay tuned for my talk with Monty Bowie. I'm here. My guest today is Monty Bowie. Thank you very much for coming in, uh, Monty. You and I don't know each other. You know, I think we've I've sort of crossed paths with you a couple different spots, but haven't really had a chance to to get to know you. But um, I, I usually just, you know, kind of start out with, how how did you first come to Sun Prairie, and how long have you lived here in town, and and sort of what brought you to the beautiful city of Sun Prairie? That's that's a really interesting question because this is actually my second time living in Sun Prairie. Okay. So the first time um, I was I was working for a pharmaceutical company and I was living here, and I started graduate school, and mm. I clearly recognized that the closer I was to Madison the less likely I was to finish the work I needed to finish to graduate. <laughs> okay. So I, I sort of moved out here to, um, to get away from all of the things or the trappings. I was going to graduate school while I was working, so I would come home from work and I would actually do my work or my, my graduate school work as opposed to 
going out and to have a beverage with a friend or somebody knocking on the door. So the further I got out of Madison, the easier it was for me to finish my work. Yeah. Were you single at the time? I was indeed. Yeah. So that makes it tough when you're kind of unattached. Well, what were you going to graduate school for? Uh, I had an MBA. So I okay. was going to, to the master's program. My company was paying for it. So I knew hmm. I needed to nail it. Right. You didn't you didn't want to have to redo that or tell your boss, hey, I flubbed this. So <laughs> it, it was just a, uh, a matter of what makes sense. You know, your lease is up in Madison. Does it make sense to move further out so that you could actually get your work done? And I had clients and and, and, uh, accounts here Mm -hmm. all the way out towards Watertown and some other places. So it was easy for me to just jump on the road and get going. And see, that to me, that's a good example of somebody, you know, I think I've got two kids and live in a single family home. And that's kind of what we tend to think. It's this sort of cliche American dream and the white picket fence and all that. But there people come to some period all different times of their lives, at the end of their lives, beginning of their lives. And somebody who's young and single and wants that, what, you know, what some prairie brings, they're going to need, I assume you lived in an apartment when you first moved out here, or did yeah. you buy a house right away? No, it was an apartment. And interestingly enough, the, the, the first time I moved out here, it was, there was still a Piggly Wiggly, right? There wasn't, okay. there wasn't all the trappings. Yeah. And so, so that was, that was sort of the, the thing. And I, what I, what I did is I told myself if I did, you know, the work I needed to do, that would free me up to go do other things later during the weekend. So it was like a gift to myself to be able to go back in town to Madison. So I was tricking myself into getting stuff done. Yeah, you got to kind of motivate yourself however that works. And so then you said you, you kind of, so then did you finish graduate school? You said you went away and came back? Yeah, so I finished graduate school. Gosh, I, I can't even imagine like how many years ago that's been. And then I moved to Chicago. So I had I had an opportunity um, pretty much right after graduation. So I was still working for a company. You know, they didn't they didn't have a direct path for me for what I would do next. So I took it upon myself to go do some other things, left that company, moved to Chicago, uh, took over a, a, a territory running a, a partially a, a business for myself in Chicago. That's when I reconnected with my wife. I've known my wife since I was 14 years of age. Oh, wow. So we reconnected, ended up um, renting a place together. And it was we clearly understood that we were wrecking a perfectly good friendship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, honestly, since 14 years old, and let's just say I'm on the doorstep of 50 now. So, okay. So um, that clearly, we understood what we were getting ourselves into. Yeah. And it was probably two to three years after that we were married. Cool. Yeah. And so then when you kind of, what what brought you, what was the decision to move from Chicago back to Sun Prairie? So very unique scenario. I was working for uh, a company in the pharmaceutical industry, and I had uh, had received a promotion. So I was leaving Chicago to go to Indianapolis. The, the, the company is Covance, right? So oh, sure. I, I started in Chicago. They promoted me and moved me to, to, to uh, run a project management team in Indianapolis. And part of my development was to spend a little time in, in, in several different apartments. I'd come from the sales and business development world. Mm-hmm. And so part of my development was to see other aspects of the business. And so in my next jump was a marketing jump. I was going to take a global marketing role. And that required that I move back to Madison. So I had to tell my wife, hey, this is going to be different from the last time you saw Madison. This is going to be us as a family, not so yeah. much. And so by the time we moved back here, our our first child, I think, was about one and a half, two years old. So we had the baby in Chicago mm. right after that. Sort of that's about the time the economy kind of started to turn. Yeah, like we, 05, 07 in yeah, there. Yeah, right. So we moved from there. Um, to Indianapolis, right? That's about the time my wife started to peel off from her career because I was starting to drag her places. Yeah. <laughs> and then we moved from Chicago to Indianapolis. Indianapolis, we were there for about two years and then jumped into Sun Prairie. So we, um, 
gosh, we've been here for quite a while now. I would say I'm just using my daughter's age, about 12 years now for yeah. the, on the second run. Okay. And that's interesting, yeah, because we moved, we moved back here. We lived in Texas for a couple of years. Yeah. And moved back here in 07, and then, yeah, part of motivation for moving back here is starting a family. And so, yeah, my son just turned 12 as well, so... We were that group that were really excited about the Costco was coming. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I can still remember. We, we had an apartment. We lived in the Barrington Place, cause, mm-hmm. uh, which is technically Madison. But they, it was furnished, and they allowed dogs. And that was kind of nice. And, yeah, I remember we, we were there before Target was – that was actually back in the early 2000s before we even moved to Texas. But, yeah, before there was a Target, a Costco, we still go to the old janky Eastgate movie theater <laughs> – um, so all that. So, yeah, it's, it's changed a lot. It's grown a lot. And I, I think for the better, um, you know, a lot of the, you know, the trappings, as you say, and having that convenience of those kind of stores, you didn't, I, we used to have to go to the East side target, you know? And so, but it is, it is nice to have that convenience, but also I, you know, I, I've really liked seeing how some prairies continue to grow and diversify and, you know, different types of neighbors. And it was something I wanted to get in and talk to with you. Now, did you run for school board or city council? I ran for school board. Okay. Mm -hmm. What year was that? Man, that's, what's it been? Two, two, three years. So the last time the group that's up now, so it's probably been about two years. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think that was kind of what prompted me to reach out to you for this interview was we, we, I saw you at the apportionment vote. Um, and there was that discussion in that meeting, which was pretty interesting. But I, th- I thought you very eloquently kind of explained as to why that representation was important. And you obviously speak from some experience having gone through that election process. And, you know, I just I wanted to get your take not only on the vote and how that petition process happened, but really from a broader sense, what what your experience has been like kind of dealing with the schools and the district and just, you know, kind of managing some of these, you know, there, let's be honest, racial issues mm-hmm. that uh, I think some prairies, a growing community and district is kind of dealing with. Yeah. So, so let's start at the basis of that. So I, I think what's, what's really interesting is you talked about a growing community. And if you think about it, the basis of some prairie, there were farms here, there were people that supported farms and, and, and all sorts of businesses, right? But for the most part, it was a small community. Mm-hmm. And at some point, they chose growth, right? They made, a, they made a decision to choose growth. Well, the funny thing about growth is sometimes you get to choose the way you grow and sometimes you don't. You want to take a good example of it is if you look at Main Street, Main Street doesn't suggest that this was a organized growth path, right? Because yeah. Main Street looks kind of hodgepodge it does. put together. <laughs> yeah. That's if you go into to other cities or other communities near bigger cities, you don't see that because there's a there's a definitive plan and it looks a little more organized than the, perhaps the way we do it. That's not a complaint, it's just an uh, just an observation. Right, right. right. So, so and a lot of those buildings are probably 70s, 80s. I mean, there's a mishmash of just kind of how and when they were built. Right. And from what I understood, I brought this up one time, uh, being a smart mouth. I think I was at a, a, one of my kids' uh, soccer practices. And a young lady came up to me and she said, well, you know, they used to not have a zoning plan here. And because they didn't have zoning, people could kind of do what they wanted to do. Yeah. And that kind of helped me identify that that how we got to this point, right? So I was less likely to complain once I figured out how we got to that point. Right. Um, but in general terms, when you start to think about growth, you can't always control it the way you want it to. And what I what I quickly identified in this community is that some people were happy with the growth plan when it just said Costco, right? Yeah. But when you think about what it takes to run a Costco and the people in the Costco and where those people need to leave, 
to, to live, I'm sorry. They, they didn't think about that part. And that part was probably less appetizing than just having the Costco. Mm-hmm. And so when I think about growth, I think about, you know, it was growing into a more diverse community. It was going to need uh, resources that it perhaps didn't have. I still don't think we fit the mold of a community that's growing so big from a, uh, a children's standpoint mm-hmm. and having the services that support them. Like our kids, if it wasn't for sports and perhaps a music class, I mean, if you think about it, there's not a lot. There's, yeah. there's just not a lot. You have to go somewhere else to get that. I mean, I'm, I'm involved in the Cub Scouts, and I'm involved with my kids and kids four. I mean, which mm-hmm. are two examples of things that, you know, I, my, my son has got his father's athletic ability. So he's not <laughs> going to practices and camps and all that stuff. And so, but, um, but having other types of programs, and sports has almost gotten to be, you know, a, a year-round kind of thing. And uh, it's unless you're kind of at a very elite level and willing to spend the money, to go to some of these camps and that kind of thing. I couldn't do um, it when I was a kid. Yeah, I, yeah. It, it wasn't there. My mom was a single parent. It wasn't going to happen, right? Right. So, and, and you do miss opportunities like that. And, and and we try to make up for that, knowing the fact that we have some advantages that others. In fact, my wife is dropping four kids off to practice, <laughs> and only, only one of them in the car is ours, right? So right. She's dropping four off to practice, then going to pick up a few others to take to a practice that she's actually running with another lady. So... So we try to, 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 to make up for that gap because sure. we know there's a gap there. But I think in general, those, those things are missing. Like, mm-hmm. and, and that's part of the reason that there was an allure for us to stay in Sun Prairie. I think the, the thing you have to understand about what I do for a living, I work for a drug development company. Yeah. Needless to that's say. That's what I was going to get at. You kind of talked about your career path. But yeah. But you're, it's where you're, you're still in that kind of field. I am in that in, in industry. I, I'm actually the vice president of a sales organization with, within a, a, a large drug development company. Okay. Basically what we do is we're an outsourcer to the drug development uh, industry or to the pharmaceutical market. Mm-hmm. If you can imagine a, a product has to be made, the pharmaceutical company has a recipe. They've decided not to make it in their own facility. They have okay. to outsource that. We're one of the companies they outsource it to. Okay. So that's that's the the essential basis of, of what I do. I sell that service. My team sells that service to pharmaceutical companies. Yeah, we I used to work in the animal health industry, yeah. and so we would always have there'd be the the company that marketed the drug for horses or dogs or mm-hmm. cats, and then there was the company that made it, and yep. there was different overlap. And sometimes they're the same company, but a lot very often, you know, in private label kind of generics or all that kind of stuff. You so, got it. That's sure. that's that's the same industry. It's just a different different aspect. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. anyway, you were kind of saying how that relates to. Your community involvement, or you yeah, know, kind so, of where that goes. Yeah, so so realistically, I don't have to live here. I can live yeah. anywhere in the country. I'm responsible for all of North America. Mm. So realistically, I don't have to live here. But what we saw is, first of all, we had a really gr- good group of friends and, and that that we really entrusted with our family, and they entrusted their families to us. Yeah. And then secondarily, we thought that you know, no no one likes to be a place where where they don't need you. Yeah, and so we felt like we could be helpful in this community. It wasn't a place where we had to go look hard for to to go help or to dig in, because my wife and I both believe that you 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 aren't really part of a community if you're not doing some of the work or some of the some of the heavy lifting. Yep. So that's really what brought us here, and then it was really about identifying places in which we could be useful. Mm-hmm. A lot of it you don't get to see because it's individual families, and we do things on the backside, and no one needs to to brag about that or know about that, right? Yeah. But at, at some level, right, you're like, okay, who's going to do this other thing that needs to be done? And that's how I ended up on the school board. It was never about me or something that I felt like I needed to do yeah. um, to, to fill some gap or void in my, my life. 
Secondarily, it wasn't about my family because my family, you know, two-parent household uh, from a financial perspective were pretty solid. Mm -hmm. Um, And our kids get the attention that they need because we're there with them. Yeah. So it was never, we never felt like it was for us. To me, it was about people that needed a voice, for people that, that needed to be to, to, to be communicated with in a different fashion. And I've always thought that the board never had bad intentions. I just always thought the part that they didn't do well was communicate with the people that needed it the most. Yeah, yeah. And that's, I mean, I'll be honest, that's a frustration of white folks too. I mean, I think the communication and outreach on the school board is is pretty lacking. I mean, we had... I mean, there was an issue in my neighborhood with people, with kids crossing Highway 19 that, mm-hmm. you know, it seemed like, I mean, I'll say it on, the, I mean, I'll say it. I was like, as soon as a bunch of white moms in Westwind spoke up, we're good to go. We reversed course and said, hey, we're, you know, we, we need to do better outreach. So, um, you know, that, I, that was something I noticed. Mm-hmm. And, and it is, I, I, I hope that that apportionment vote was, a wake-up call, shot across the bow, whatever kind of metaphor you want to use, that you need to do a better job listening to, you know, people of color, people on the east side, people who feel like they don't have a seat at the table. Um, and that, you know, remains to be seen kind of where that goes. Um, but also hopefully that the folks who are underrepresented as well kind of say, we have a voice and we can speak up and we can we, we can vote some people in that are the folks that we want. So... I, I, I'm very curious to see where that kind of goes. So, Well, it's interesting you would bring that up because I, I came out of there. Well, I went in there with a lot of hope, right? Yeah. Um, and, and I went in there with a sense of listening. But when I started to look around the room, I saw people that hadn't really been in the game of using their voice in a while, right? And, and they showed up for that. Yeah. So, and I have no. Now, do you think that was true on both sides or one side in particular? One side in particular. So the people that were more in favor of the status quo who tend not to be involved with things, all of a sudden when, and this has been my, you know, for better, for worse, some prairie tends to lean towards the status quo. People like it here. It is a wonderful community. And so when things are do get challenged or pushed, that's when people start to push back. And so the status quo is nice for a lot of folks and certain people, and it, it by and large is a great place to live, but there are also things that need to change and need to people need to be woken up to a little bit. And, and I'm convinced, and, and, and by the way, what I'm about to say, I have no legitimate proof of. Yeah. But I feel like someone rang the bell and said, hey, status quo, you need to show up today. Right. I feel like somebody started to call around on their little, their little you know. Whatever it is, text it, chains, Facebook exactly. pages. Who, yeah. And said, show up because those people are showing up, right? And, yeah. And that's, that's, that's how I felt about it. But, but the other part was that the people that needed the support the most, um, that perhaps were supporting the other side of the argument, mm-hmm. I was familiar with all of those faces. They always show up. Yeah. They're always the people that are there. All of those people, like, honestly, a, a significant amount of those people have sat at my dinner table or at my kitchen bar and had a glass of wine or a cup of coffee because they're always involved. And so the question I'm still asking is, those aren't the people necessarily that are fighting for themselves. They're all fighting for someone else. Mm-hmm. Where was the someone else that yeah. was supposed to show up to make the difference? And so it's that margin. And, and I've discussed this sort of publicly with, with um, 
with, with those same people to say, you know, I think the part that was disappointing to me is that I probably could have written out a list of the people that I expected to show up. But those people are fighting for the people that didn't show up. Yeah. And what I'm still trying to figure out is how we get the people that we're fighting for to show up. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a huge, is it, I mean, it was in the evening at a meeting, but people work there. Some of them are single parents. The accessibility isn't there, you know, transportation issues. Is it just that they, that they don't feel welcome even to come and voice their opinion and vote on something? I mean, what, yeah, yeah, what is it that needs to happen to turn that corner to say, you are valued and, and, and valuable, and we want to hear from you, and you deserve a seat at the table just like anybody else? I, I, don't, I don't know, right? So, so I think there's, there's probably categories, right? There's the group, group of people that j- just they're done with the system, right? Right. And, and so, it, so if, if you don't know me personally, I probably look like the system. Right. Maybe, so yeah. so you're going to it's going to take a unique person to reach that person. And, and, and I might not be the guy that reaches that person. And then there's that group that you're right. They're overwhelmed and perhaps they don't even think that there's a chance that this could go through. They don't know how close they are. Right. Right. They just don't know how close they are. And then there are some which I believe no one's going to reach. <laughs> that, yeah. That's, and, and, and we can't always identify who that is. Right. But but as far as reaching the what I would call the other two categories, we have to figure out which part of that is that we can reach. I honestly believe, I think if you look at the small margin in which I lost the school board by, I think the real issue is this, with the same group of people that I'm talking about today. Sure. Right? So so we're not talking about 1,000 votes. We're not talking about 500 votes. We're probably talking about less than 100 votes that would have swayed. swayed right. Those things. local elections are really small margins. Absolutely. And so so somehow... Less than 100 people decided they didn't want to get up and do what in their head would have probably been the right thing to do. Yeah. And that somebody was actually fighting for them that wanted nothing from them. Nothing. Yeah. Like, don't need anything from them. Don't have any grand plans to be uh, a politician. Um, my, my schedule wouldn't even allow me to be a politician. In fact, I would argue now that I couldn't do the role I've, I've recently taken if I had that role. Yeah, isn't that interesting? I couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. So, but so at, at the end of the day, to me, to to me and my wife, really, this is about just being a good member of your community, mm-hmm. trying to uplift people to give people a chance. If you look into my background, my mom was a single parent, had me at a really young age, and I missed out on a lot of opportunities from either an educational perspective, uh, and a, a sports perspective, all those extracurricular things because we just couldn't afford them. Yeah. And then to top it all off, I lived in a. My mom did a lot of good, good work and good thinking. She stretched herself that we lived in a really, really wealthy community mm-hmm. with a really good school. That I could go to a great school. Yeah. I just couldn't do the extra stuff. So I wanted to ask you. We we'll kind of walk through your background. Where did you actually grow up? So I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. Oh, my brother lives there now. Yeah. So if if you're familiar with Clayton, at the time that I was in the Clayton School District, it was okay. one, it was the top public high school or public school district in the country, right? So yep. so I had the, the advantages of, of of going to the top public school district in the country at that particular time, which is where I met my wife, yeah. which was where I met some of my best friends that we still have fantastic relationships and keep in touch with one another, and in which also I started, well, actually didn't start, I actually transitioned to it, but part of a desegregation program. Okay. So once I got into the school and my mom was like, okay, I want to be a homeowner, 
we moved out, but I remained as part of a desegregation program. So I was bused back into that school. So I may have been one of the only African-American kids that didn't have to test into that school district. Yeah. So you already knew, if you knew anything about the desegregation program in that particular district, those kids were smart enough to be there. Right. Right? So it didn't matter what color they are, they were smart enough to be there. And 99% of them went to college. The other 1% went to the military. Okay. So it was a high-performing school with high expectations. And if you look at what happened culturally, those people are still connected. Yeah. Still very much connected, still supporting each other. I am not the only marriage that came out of that. Yeah. Um, If you look even in our class, there's probably eight or ten people that are couples that ended up together. Wow. Because of just, there was this, this, something magical happened. Tight-knit bond. Absolutely. Sure. And it still remains today. My wife's best friend. They they played basketball together. Um, I actually uh, went to school with her before my wife even knew her. She baked me my first birthday cake that wasn't <laughs> from my mama. So so just a long lasting relationship and, and several of them that have come out of that that school district. Yeah, I talked to Marilyn Ruffin last year mm-hmm. uh, about you know a lot of the, she's from St. Louis. Also from St. Louis. Yeah, yeah. and uh, she actually on my TV show next next week. Um, I'm going to have her on uh, Roundabout Sun Prairie. I'll get that mm-hmm. plug in there. But um, and so, but I, what I was thinking about was just how to, bringing the people in and, and being that. And I, I it, it illustrates to me why representation is so important because mm-hmm. to have Marilyn Ruffin and Alwyn Foster and Faustina Bowling uh, on the yeah. city council to start having some people of color to pave the way for folks. It just it made me think. It was something else recently where you just you don't realize. And when you've been shut out of something or haven't been there to, to see the first the person that looks like you, first woman, first black, African-American, Hispanic, Asian person to kind of it, it matters locally just as much as it does, you know, to see Halle Berry get an Oscar because she's the first black woman to do you that. You have to so, see it's possible. You know, right. Yeah. It, you have to see it's possible. And then the hill doesn't look so hard to climb. Yeah. I am actually as of good grief, I guess, probably a week. The first African American vice president of a of a two billion dollar company. Yeah, like that. And and even if I didn't want the role, I felt it was essentially responsible for me to take it because other people needed to see it happen. Yeah, yeah. And that's just something a person of privilege doesn't really think about on mm-hmm. a regular basis. And so, quite frankly, this this why I wanted to have conversations with different types of people around town to share some of that yeah. with people that, you know, I, I don't know who's listening and what their background is, but I think it's important to, to hear from people who live in the same town or your friends and neighbors um, that share a lot in common. A lot of the reasons why you came to Sun Prairie, a lot of the same reasons everybody did. Um, but your background and your, you know, what you look like is different than a lot of other people's experience. And just asking people to kind of put themselves in other people's shoes once in a while is... Hopefully, you know, but you know what you can do every once in a while. And so. you know, there's some general assumptions that, that that sometimes get made about why people are doing things, right? Like, yeah. for for example, uh, perhaps why I'm supporting people that 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 are probably in, not necessarily in my situation that look like me, mm-hmm. and maybe that they want something for free or they want something easy, or and it's and and I think yeah. we have to take that out of it, right? I think. I think if you if you were to live in our shoes for a particular moment, you wouldn't necessarily consider anything easy. Yeah. Right. But you wouldn't consider going to the grocery store easy or having to have those extra conversations, especially being from a mixed family where someone may 
say something about your husband in your presence that you have to defend, and then you have to deal with that when you come home. There's all sort of circumstances that don't make things easy. Yeah. And and I don't think that that's what people want. I think what they want is equality. I think that they want a fair shot. They want things to be as accessible for themselves as it is for everyone else. And that's really what it boils down to. Yeah. You know, you mentioned that you you didn't win the school board race. Mm-hmm. You're kind of covered up with, but well, what are the things that you kind of do day to day, you know, week to week that help you kind of feel like you're giving back and that you're involved with with the community with folks? Absolutely. So so some of the things that we do, we're really working on a on more of a person to person basis now. There are families that we pour into, and there are families that have have uh, organizations such as. If you've ever had an opportunity to talk to Dan Hawk, he's a great guy. You should do mm, that. Okay. Dan Hawk runs Crush. Okay. And so I've Crush, heard that name. Yeah. And so Crush does a lot. And if there's anything that Dan needs, we show up for Dan. Um, and there's a lot of groups like that. Um, right now, my, my kids are involved in sports with Nesby. And whatever Nesby asks of us, and that's out of, out of the Madison area, we show up for Nesby. Okay. Because they're supporting so many kids. Yeah. And again, there's individual families that we continue to pour into because we know those relationships. We know that our, our funds are going to a place where they're needed and they get turned back around in a way that's important. And we're watching the development. Um, and, you know, in the past, we've done a ton of things. You know, we've, we've been involved in a lot of the organizations around uh, Sun Prairie. Um, gosh, in fact, we did a, a uh, we supported a, a room in the, uh, the women's shelter here. Okay. My wife and I did that uh, several At years Shelter ago. From the Shelter Storm? from the Storm. Okay. So we named it after my grandma. And oh, so, wow. so we've done that. We've done a lot of stuff with uh, the uh, Boys and Girls Club okay. in the past. And so what we're trying to find are things that we can really dig into and touch and see grow ourselves that don't necessarily feel corporate. Mm. Uh, so that's what we're being conscientious of right now is to find those families or those individual things that we can do. Yeah. And it, they're, they're out there. They're yeah. for people that... More than anything, you know, having come through the last couple of years when we were so isolated, um, if you want to get connected and help and be part of the solution instead of I, I, I'm on Facebook too much, like at all is too much. But it's just people who just complain and kind of rage in this echo chamber. It's not productive. It's not helping anything. Get on do some work. And, you know, if you got issues with the way the community is, you can make it better. So plenty of opportunities to do that. I agree. So, well, thank you, Monty. I appreciate you so much coming in and uh, we are scheduled i'm scheduled to have you on the tv show as well so we'll come in and talk more about whatever's going on and uh, it was great great to get to know you talk to you good to you as well thanks mike i think i said i didn't know monty that well and i feel like i know him a lot better now and that's kind of the delight of the show but i i Really want to thank him for all the work he's doing. Uh, you know, I think he's he's a wonderful uh, member of the community, and I, I think quite honestly a role model for a lot of folks, and, and kind of points the path of how how people can get involved and, and make a difference. So uh, my thanks to Monty for coming in and doing this, for all he's doing. My thanks to everyone out there for listening. This is what are we building on 103.5 FM, The Sun, Sun Prairie's Community Radio.